Hello everyone and welcome to Compose by Gret Heffernan. Um, today I wanted to do things a bit differently um, in light of the ongoing protests for racial equality in America, which I wholeheartedly support. I wanted to read a section of the sculpture where Birdie, a white woman, wakes up to the scale of inborn racism. So the sculpture is about many things, it's pretty layered, but primary to its plot is interracial love um, and how a white police officer murders a black man and a small Midwestern town's intentional blindness towards white supremacy. It's also about love, resurrection, art, and revenge. But this particular exchange that I'm going to read is between Birdie, an artist, and her cousin through marriage, as well as her friend and creative contemporary, Jacques Beaumont, who is a talented black sculptor. And I think it really underpins how it is the responsibility of white people to speak out and see but actually, you know, take in and empathetically absorb the everyday, everyday trespasses against people of color. Because these are the stepping stones that lead to larger race-driven crimes. And this exchange is based on a personal experience of awakening to my own white privilege. So, I don't know, I hope it's helpful. Right. Bertie Dubois. It started off with little things, you see, tiny erosions of humanity. Like he'd go into Rose's cafe and she'd pick up the phone and ring somebody so she could ignore him for as long as possible, hoping he'd just leave. Or he'd go into the grocery store or the drug store or the library and looks would be given and soon enough, a clerk would pretend to stock shelves in every area that he'd enter. By the time the incident of the monument happened, the whole town already suspected him of crimes they couldn't articulate. So to blame him for that just felt like placing the missing words in a sentence that had already been spoken. I made a box for it in an old gun case. On the outside of the case, I painted many tiny ears and long spirals of wind that carried the words blah, 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 accused, blah, 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 guilty, blah, 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 immoral. Those were the words everyone was saying. Those were the words they fit into everything, even if they had to bend the sentence around a falsification. On the top, where the handle was, I painted a large mouth, and the wind spilled from its opening. And look, I can't claim to know anything about being black, but living and creating with Jack taught me an awful lot about being white, things I never thought to think of before, like how I can go anywhere, be a presence in any public place, or knock on any door, how I can say anything Basically, just live and communicate and function, and I don't have to have one single excuse. My white skin is reason enough for me to enter and be wherever I am. 
my white skin is my alibi. And that's just not true for a black person. They have to have a reason and an excuse prepared and ready for questions, even if those questions were just asked with eyes. So think about how it would feel to sense that type of observation. Think about the oppression of having to feel like you were expected to explain every movement and interaction you made. I tell you, I'd crack. I don't know anybody that wouldn't. The thing about Jacques was that he didn't grow up here, so this feeling of infringement wasn't ingrained or tread into his everyday existence from day one. He didn't know it, so he didn't understand it. He'd grown up in the backwoods of Canada, and when he saw people at all, they were natives or reclusive, so they didn't so they were unbothered by his presence, which wasn't the case in Callisto, in rural Illinois. He was noticed. That's the other thing I learned about being white. It makes you invisible in a way you never value until you've spent time with someone who is watched, dissected even. Now I want to stop reading here and interject um, because I think this is something that's explained a bit later in the book, which I'm not going to read, but I think it's really important to speak about the this sense of invisibility now. What I mean by invisible is individually invisible, yet completely and dominantly visible as a, a group, um, which is the exact opposite for people of color. As a group in society, their plight is invisible, unseen or ignored, but as an individual person, they are watched. So I just wanted to make that distinction. Okay, um, back to the reading. We went to Memorial Park for a picnic. Jack wanted to see the stone carving of Winfield Scott, and we both felt like we needed to get out of our surroundings. It was one of the first cooler days in late August, so the park was full of picnickers. We sat beneath the statue and ate our sandwiches. Nobody spoke to us, but that wasn't surprising, as we were locked in conversation until Jacques took out his sketchbook and began drawing. The following day, two police officers came to the door and asked for Jacques. They accused him of defacing the statue of General Scott, who had defeated Black Hawk, Black Hawk on that very spot. A red X had been spray-painted across his chest. They claimed it was an act of anti-Americanism. I thought to myself, well, one genocide after another, but kept my mouth shut. Of course, I defended him and was witness to his innocence. Actually, I told him, a red cross, a red X across the chest of a revolutionary general could mean a lot of things. They knew that we'd come to the park together and left together that his alibi was solid in a court of law, that they could never prosecute, but they came to harass him anyway, in part to rough him up, which they did, but mostly to show their power, to feel their power. When they left, he said something I'll never forget. He said, trying to make light of the situation. Well, that's the first time they've ever used my name, so I guess we're getting somewhere. 
He found the fact that they never used his name the most insulting aspect of all. It didn't necessarily matter to him if he was disliked, particularly because his likability had nothing to do with his character, so seemed absurd. It's outrageous how skin can become a defining aspect of character. And I am fully aware of the inheritedness of this sentiment, fully aware that when they called him nigger, or black artist, or him, or you, to avoid addressing or speaking about him as a person, it was a reaction activated in the quickening. And it is not a unique human response, sadly, tragically. Think of the Irish, the Turks, the Jews, the Gypsies, the Russians, the Muslims, the Mexicans, the immigrants. Those that we demonize are nameless. It is a way of stripping a person or a group of their basic humanity. By not recognizing them as individuals, it becomes far easier to persecute them as a group. To be nameless is to be inhuman, unborn, and objectified. To name someone is to take them into your consciousness and admit them as real. I once heard Arlo and Rosa talking in the cafe, and she said, You mean our nigger? To which he answered, Well, yes, I'm talking about ours, but it could just as well be anybody's. They're all the same. And the way he said it made me think of how an alligator will take its prey and stash it before it finally eats, how what we were witnessing was the roll and the stash of a man's being. I removed the foam from the gun case and placed two photos I'd taken at Memorial Park. The case was meant to be positioned on its end so that it resembled a hinged frame. On the top, I wrote alibi in white. One photograph was of a white man standing near the statue who has nothing in his awareness but the serenity of the clouds, the birds flying overhead, the trees, peace. On the other side of the case is a photo of Jacques, a black man surrounded, suffocated, by words depicting a consciousness full of excuses that justify his being in the park. He does not notice the birds, the clouds, the trees, because he can't ignore the people. What I wanted the case to impart was that even when there is no actual blatant racism, it's living under this form of constant scrutiny that is an infringement of freedom. The ability to wear their skin as an alibi is the true freedom, privilege, that white Americans have over Americans of color. Mental liberation is a freedom. At the time, I was always covering riots or protests, and not just for women's rights either, but for everybody, human rights. We had that in common, Jack and I. We felt that art was a way to magnify humanity. The thing is, you can't allow injustice to proliferate in one area just because it doesn't seem to infringe upon you specifically. It's all interrelated. That's what I was trying to do, at least to showcase the relationships between people in a different light that might be illuminating. All I know for certain is that creating my alibi box, 
made me consider my role in society with an honesty and a clarity I hadn't realized I'd been missing. I planned to display it in the library and hoped that the effect of viewing it, witnessing it, would produce the same effect, or at least a discussion. And it had an effect all right, just not the one I wanted. Wake up, wake up, said the world, and it did.